When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, November 22nd. On today's show, I want to discuss the few remaining events we have on the calendar this week in the tennis world. Headlining them all, of course, is the conclusion of the 2023 Davis Cup. We've reached the quarterfinal stage of this year's event. Already have our first semifinalist as Finland advances to the semifinals of this event for the first time in that nation's history to do so without the presence of their top-ranked player, Emil Roussevori, to knock out Canada, the defending champs, 2-1 in the fashion that they did yesterday. That is certainly our headline to start today's show. I want to break down that result, talk about the drama we've seen thus far here on Wednesday in the current ongoing battle between the Czech Republic and Australia. I want to preview our other quarterfinals as as well. Talk about where Davis Cups currently sits in the broader tennis ecosystem. Does this event matter? Is there more we should be doing to ensure there is a heightened importance placed on one of the rare team events we have on the tennis calendar? That is a topic I want to get into here on today's show. I then, of course, want to discuss a couple of other individual events we have on the calendar this week. One WTA 125K event, three challenges to lock in on as well. Yes, we are done with our tour-level play for 2023, but we still have some fun events happening across the globe to keep an eye on here on this show. Of course, if you missed our recap of the 2023 ATP Tour Finals, all you got to do is scroll down on your mini-break podcast feed. You can hear me offer my thoughts on solo on all things we saw from Novak Djokovic in 2023. Where does this season sit for him in terms of the all-time seasons he's put together throughout the course of his career. That was Monday's show. Then yesterday, we took a deep dive into all aspects of the ATP Tour Finals. We talked about the quality or perhaps lack thereof in this year's field. We talked about Tankgate as it related to Yannick Sinner's third match in group play. We then, of course, offered grades for all of this year's participants at the ATP Tour Finals. And when I say we, I'm not referring to cracked rackets in the plural uh, form of its name. No, I'm referring to myself and our dear friend, the birthday boy here today, David Kane, Tennis.com editorial producer, our dear friend here at Crack Records. He joined me on yesterday's episode to, again, take a 10,000-foot view, I suppose, of all things ATP Tour Finals. But we're going to leave that event in the past. Again, I want to focus on this week here on today's show, Davis Cup, a couple of other events we have happening individually on the WTA ATP Challenger Tours this week. But before Before we get into any of that, I have to offer a quick shout out to a fan of what we do here at Cracked Rackets. Now, I'm going to be honest, I didn't catch this fan's name. I didn't actually have an interaction with this fan I'm offering a shout out to, but to this fan 
whom I hope is a listener of the Mini Break Podcast day in, day out. I just want to say a massive thank you to him. I am currently on vacation spending Thanksgiving with my dear family. We call ourselves the Nuclear Five Gruskins, my two parents, my two brothers, myself as well. And my youngest brother was sitting at the pool earlier today. He was rocking a cracked racket shirt. Someone came up to him and asked, hey, do you play college tennis? Nick said no, but my brother broadcasts it. This fan then goes, is your brother Alex? And Nicholas with what I can only imagine was a slightly frustrated smile on his face said, yes, Alex is indeed my brother, to which this fan said, oh, I love his work, love what we're doing here at Cracked Rackets. And again, to get a shout out from someone, not to me, but to one of my family members, you have made my day. Again, thank you so much. It's one of those moments where they go, okay, I guess Alex really does have a job. I guess he really is working day in, day out, because sometimes I don't think they completely understand what it is that I do. So shout out to that fan who approached Nicholas Gruskin. I've now had it happen to him. I had it happen to my older brother, who, of course, as we alluded to a few months ago, hired a new engineer at his company when they were doing an icebreaker to welcome the new employee to their circle. Eric was going through his history, his family. He says, I have a brother, Alex, who's really into tennis. This engineer goes, wait, you're Alex Gruskin's brother? Which again, hearing Eric was told, wait, you're Alex Gruskin's brother. I just want to say that's a top three quote I have heard in my life. So shout out to you fans out there who, again, see that Cracked Rackets logo and feel compelled to say something. I'll tell you what, if you see someone with Cracked Rackets gear in the wild, it very likely is either me Dalton Westoff or one of our family members. So please always do come up. Please always say hello. You make our days. Again, shout out to the unnamed soldier here on this day who approached Nicholas Gruskin. Certainly made my day, made this vacation that much more enjoyable. And of course, with Thanksgiving on the horizon, hope all of you listeners, all of you Cracked Rackets and tennis fans are enjoying this holiday season, whether it's spending it with your direct family, with your in-laws, your loved ones, with your friends, whatever it may be. Enjoy yourself a holiday. Enjoy yourself some relaxation. You certainly earned it. And on Thursday, for maybe the first time in some of our lifetimes, enjoy yourself a winning Detroit Lions football team. That's right. Our Leo's 8-2. and 8-2. and two. That hasn't happened in my lifetime. It's You know, on Sundays, I'm always looking forward to championship tennis, but I get to look forward to winning football this season as well. Shout out to the Lions, who, of course, play every Thanksgiving. It's one of our traditions here at the Gruskin household to be locked into that game. So hope all of you are enjoying your Thanksgiving traditions, however they may be celebrated. Some of you may be in Europe not celebrating Thanksgiving, in which case I hope you're enjoying the end of November and preparing for the holiday season as, of course, we turn the calendar to December, prepare for Han. Monica, Christmas, whatever holidays you might celebrate, more broadly, the start of the new year. That said, again, on today's show, Davis Cup, ATP Challenger Action, WTA 125Ks. That's going to be the focus of the episode. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. He is also here in Florida spending time with his family. I'm hoping to see him up here with my family as well as Saturday. He's on the ones and twos. He's back in business. A thank you to him, as always, as well as a thanks to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. If you are looking for the perfect holiday gift for your tennis playing friends and family, Tennis Point is the place to turn to. All the best equipment. All the best prices, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. So, with all that said, now what? 
that's really the question, right? As we look at the tennis calendar, it's late November, December on the horizon. Yes, we'll have some exhibitions. Yes, we'll have the opportunity to see some of the best players in the world in action, not only on court competing against one another, but we're all excited for the Instagram Reel highlights to come out. I want to see who's in where do they all go? Is it Monte Carlo, where that training uh, facility is that all of them seem to end up living in? All, you know, the Dimitrovs, the Rublevs, the Tsitsipasas, the Medvedevs of the world, the Holgarunas, they all... I think it is Monte Carlo, or maybe it's not Monte Carlo and I'm blanking on where it is, but they all end up in that same location training with one another again, preparing for the start of the 2024 season. So look, if any of those Instagram reels come out and they provide particularly pertinent information, someone looks particularly swole. Someone seems to have lost a particular amount of weight. Someone has made a significant technique shift. Yes, we'll be on the lookout for all of those things in late November, early December. Of course, I've got a list, laundry list of topics ready for this offseason as we reflect on 2023, prepare for 2024. Again, we'll focus on all of those things in the future. In the meantime, let's talk Davis Cup. Let's talk WTA 125K events as well as the ATP challengers on the calendar this week because, look, I know some of you tennis fans are asking, so now what? What do we have ahead over the next six weeks in the tennis world? This week, the focus is on Davis Cup. And look, there has been a lot of debate about the current state of the Davis Cup, its place in the broader tennis ecosystem. Does the event carry the same cachet it allegedly did, not just 10 years ago, but certainly 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago in the minds of tennis fans? Now, of course, the format has changed over the past few years. They've brought all the quarterfinalists together to one final site. They've played the quarterfinals and onwards in Davis Cup over the course of one week, so as to not burden players with knowing that there might be Davis Cup on the horizon. Of course, the tennis calendar, it's so jam-packed as already constituted to ask the best players in the world to participate in Davis Cup when there are times those ties are right after a major event or right before the start of a significant push on the tennis calendar. Where Davis Cup fits in the broader ecosystem is a debate I imagine we will continue to have over the course of the next few years. Certainly, it is worth noting the fan attendance for these Davis Cup events. It's just not nearly what it was when every tie was a home tie uh, in uh, via the format of the Davis Cup. And when I say those home ties, again, if it's Australia versus Argentina, there's a couple of matches in particular. The Australia team, they just, they always have immense crowds. Uh, Davis Cup really still means something in the nation of Australia. But I think about when Croatia went to Argentina to play that Davis Cup final a couple of years ago. I think about when Andy Murray went to Belgium and with Great Britain clinched that Davis Cup title many moons ago. You know, those were some special crowds in front of those home uh, uh, for those home ties. And again, it's very rare in tennis where you have a partisan crowd wheeling a player forward and propelling them to maybe a level outside of their comfort zone in the best way possible, propelling them forward towards victory. It's very rare that a crowd can have that sort of impact on the match. Certainly, we saw that last week in Torino with the Italian crowd supporting their very own Yannick Sinner. But, you know, Davis Cup is supposed to be the one event where that partisan crowd 
is encouraged, where fan members are, you know, will, I'm just going to use the word again, they're encouraged to be loud. They're encouraged to root for their player, to root against an opponent. Just, again, there's a permission structure, I I suppose, provided by the nation-versus-nation format that the Davis Cup constitutes that you just don't, you know, again, Federer might be playing Djokovic, or that's a bad example. Federer might be playing, we'll go with, like, I don't know, Dennis Kudla in the second round of a U.S. Open, and yet that New York crowd, they're not going to be cheering for the American Dennis Kudla. They're going to be cheering for the great Roger Federer in a circumstance like that. In Davis Cup, that's not the case. American Americans would be cheering for Team USA in a home tie for the U.S. Obviously, again, if it's in Switzerland, they're rooting for Roger, but they root for Roger no matter where he plays in the world. So maybe that was a poor example. I, I should have really said, like, Dennis Kudla versus... Like Joe Wilfred Songa, to where it's like, yeah, you know, Songa's well known, but he's not on the Federer tier of all fans root for him. And yet, if a Songa plays a, a Kudla on a significant court at the U.S. Open, I bet you more fans in that instance would be hypothetically rooting for a Songa than they would be rooting for their home countrymen. And again, I have no issue with that. Root for whomever you want to. But I love partisan crowds. I love college athletics, which are the epitome of part of partisan crowds in today's sporting environment. There's nothing like being in the big house when 115,000 people are rooting Michigan football forward against whomever it may be. And again, in theory, Davis Cup is supposed to be a, one of the rare formats in tennis that allows that sort of partisan fan to exist within the context of this sport and obviously with the Davis Cup quarterfinals and onwards moving to neutral sites or this year I believe they're in Malaga Spain which would be wonderful if we had Nadal in action would be wonderful if we had even Alcaraz in action but Spain didn't reach the quarterfinals so it's eight nations with no ties to the home uh, to the home venue participating and competing for this Davis Cup title. And again, that's an issue that's been litigated, relitigated many times over the years. Should we go back to the old Davis Cup format where, yeah, the event was more spread out. And as a tennis fan, you kind of had to be you had to be aware. You had to be in the know to be realized, oh, this is a Davis Cup weekend. I didn't. Otherwise, you'd, you know, you'd miss it before before you got to catch any of the action. You know, blink of an eye, it would be over anyways. I like the spirit of the current Davis Cup format. I like the idea of being like, we're going to knock this event out during two specific weeks on the calendar, and every player is going to know a year in advance leading up to those weeks, hey, this is a Davis Cup week, then that end of the season post-ATP Tour Finals, that's when the ATP, uh, that's when the Davis Cup quarterfinals are going to be. I actually like the organization that provides even if, again, putting it in a place like Malaga, Spain, when Spain's not in the final eight of the field, that makes things a little bit more difficult from a crowd perspective. It's it's a really tough needle to thread. It's a really complicated issue, again, tied into the broader tennis calendar of where do we put team events and if we want to experiment with new things, how do we do that without disrupting the current ecosystem as is. It's also just worth asking, do people care about the Davis Cup? Like, again... As a longtime Andy Murray fan prior to before I started this podcast, that's that was my guy. Um, I remember exactly where I was watching him beat Belgium, watching him beat David Goffin, watching him hit that lob over the head of Goffin, which I believe was ultimately the clinching shot on match point to for Great Britain to de- secure their first Davis Cup in so long. Again, the the Chilich Del Potro match in Argentina. 
go watch the highlights for it. Try not to get chills uh, in watching that. And even last year, watching Canada celebrate their first Davis Cup in so long, seeing Shapovalov and Felix, what that meant to each of them, it's clear to these players, particularly if you're winning the event, that Davis Cup can still matter. But I have not had a single fan in my life text me this week, ooh, did you see what Finland did against Canada yesterday? Or, ooh, I'm, I'm really excited to watch, you know, this Serbia quarterfinal bout uh, as they take on Great Britain. Like, or like, oh, what a dark horse run by the Netherlands, right? Like, we just haven't got, I, I haven't gotten those texts I haven't really seen those tweets. Obviously, our guy, Jose Morgado, he's on the ones and twos as he always is. But, you know, again, that kind of speaks to, sure, the hardcore tennis fans, they're still watching Davis Cup. Are the casual tennis fans watching this Davis Cup event? Do they care who emerges as a Davis Cup champion? Obviously, I was out with COVID, so we didn't have the opportunity to discuss it. But same thing with the Billie Jean King Cup. Now, Canada ultimately wins that event, and it is a, a continuation of my continued commentary. Watch Layla Fernandez play. It's just so clear she is back to the 2021 level we saw from her that went missing last season. And I'm just so certain that Fernandez is going to be a factor in some serious conversations we have throughout the course of 2024. But felt like that Billie Jean Cup event flew by. The fact that we don't talk about the fact that the Czech Republic, who again, Muhova, Vandrusova, Krejcikova, Sinyakova. The Czech Republic should never lose a Davis Cup. Never. Maybe to the Americans if Pagula and Goff both play, but they weren't playing given the presence of the WTA finals, which, by the way, were the week before Billie Jean, Cup, uh, Billie Jean King Cup final results began. And by the way, I think today's the 80th birthday of Billie Jean King, one of the goats we have in our sport. The WTA just would not exist in its current form. It would not continue to provide... Again, nine out of the ten highest-paid female athletes in the, in the globe, according to Forbes magazine, they're tennis players. That is a testament to the work, the life, the efforts of Billie Jean King over her fantastic, fabulous life. And again, I believe it's her 80th birthday, so a happy birthday to her. But I don't think there was a lot of buzz about Billie Jean King Cup the same way. I don't think there's a ton of buzz about the Davis Cup this year, the same way there wasn't a ton a buzz about the Laver Cup this year either. And let's keep in mind, Djokovic is playing Davis Cup this year. He is in Serbia participating on the team. Yannick Sinner participating for the Italians as well. There's a world where we get a third Sinner versus Djokovic matchup in a week stretch, and that's a potential scenario in the semifinals if both Italy and Serbia get there. That's something tennis fans should be getting excited about, right? And yet... Again, you just don't feel that buzz. And part of it is we're at the end of an 11-month run of professional tennis, week in, week out, day in, day out. There's some fatigue setting in for tennis fans everywhere. As I started this show with, it's Thanksgiving week. People are with their families. People are enjoying the holidays. People are stepping away from whatever it is. That, I mean, maybe for some people, enjoying the holidays means watching Davis Cup and nerding out for a week long and gluing yourself to a TV and just saying, hey, I'm not doing anything else but relaxing and watching tennis. But amongst the broader tennis populace that we see on tennis Twitter, that certainly the, the most vocal of tennis fans, the people in my life, I haven't received a single text about Davis Cup. I haven't received a single text about Billie Jean King Cup. Now, I've sent some texts out to some of my friends in the tennis intelligentsia to just, you know, 
do a little vibe check. What are their thoughts on Davis Cup? What are their thoughts on Billie Jean King Cup? And maybe that's another December podcast as well. As well, what do we do with team events? What are what is the purpose, the place for team events within our sport more broadly? Again, it's a it's a big conversation to have. There's a lot to unpack in that topic. A lot to discuss in terms of the history of the Davis Cup. One of my goals is to get Peter Bodo, who really is. Perhaps Pete Bodo. I don't know why I called him Peter. Pete Bodo, who is maybe the most, uh, the highest profile. At him, Steve Flink, the highest profile active tennis historians. A title and mantle I hope to one day hold for myself, God willing, 50 years from now. Um, but maybe that's a discussion we should have more broadly. Where do, do team events fit in the broader tennis ecosystem? And if you are a mini break podcast listener right now, please sincerely, sincerely, not you, Archit Suresh, you don't count because you are now a Cracked Rackets intern. He cannot be the only one who tweets at me following this discussion. I would beg some of you fans, if you're on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it nowadays, Instagram, Facebook, whatever your social media channel of preference is, Tweet at us, at Cracked Rackets, at Ale Gruskin. I'm genuinely curious. Do you care about the Davis Cup? Do you care about Billie Jean King Cup? Do you care about team events when they occur within uh, the pro tennis ecosystem? Again, United Cup, Hopman Cup, etc. Do you care? Do you not care? Let me know either way. I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated because obviously we're going to spend a podcast today or I've spent 10 minutes, 12 minutes discussing the topic and I'd be fascinated to know what the rest of Tennis Nation feels as well. That said, again, very briefly to discuss the Davis Cup results we've seen thus far, shout out to Finland. I mean, without Emil Rusevori, who by the way is their only top 100 player. They go and beat a Canada team that was sans Felix Ogier Aliasim, a Canada team that was sans... Dennis Shapovalov as well. And I actually got to give a little tip of the cap. Shout out to Canada, who advanced to this quarterfinal stage via the Rayonich, Gab Diallo, Vashik Pospisil, Lexi Galarno core. They didn't compromise that core just because they got to the final site. It wasn't like a, hey, Felix is playing a little bit better now. Let's sub him in to try to secure these back-to-back titles. They're like, no, no, no. We're going to ride with the dogs that got us here. And even though they ultimately lost the match, a tip of the cap, a lot of respect for Team Canada to say, no, 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 that would just be... It'd just be rude. It just wouldn't be right to do that. And again, they'd be tempting the tennis karma gods in all of the wrong ways. Now, that said, ultimately, maybe Canada wins this match if Felix is in attendance. Ultimately, Canada ra- uh, racing out to a one-love lead. Milos Raonic, 3-5 and five over Patrick Kalkavalta. Uh, and it will be fascinating to see how much Raonic, by the way, who... It's getting slowly but surely, a little bit healthier. Could be fascinating to see how much of him we see throughout the course of 2024. But, man, I'll tell you what. The story of that opening match was Otto Vertanen, who, I'm going to be honest, has not had the greatest tour season here in 2023. You look for Otto Vertanen, the 22-year-old Finn, currently 171 in the world. He reached a career high of number 109 back in April, but 32-30. and 30. Overall on the season is Vertanen hadn't reached a quarterfinal of an event since all the way back in March at the Lille Challenger. So again, for him to struggle the way that he has and go 4-0 and 
in Davis Cup singles matches this year. Keep in mind, Vertanen beat Botik van de He beat Dino Prismich. He beat Mackie McDonald back in December when this first round of Davis Cup was played post-US Open. Now gets a win over Gab Diallo, albeit a Gab Diallo who, again, he's very similar in age, in the rankings with a guy who he said in the post-match presser, yeah, I know him well. We're, we're buddies now that we've gotten to spend time with one another. That's a hell of a win for Vertanen, who when he's confident, who when he's swinging freely, he's got top 100 power. He has real weapons. He's not the most fluid in and out of corners. The ground stroke form a little bit robotic, and he kind of needs a little bit of time, needs a little bit of uh, needs a little bit of time for himself to be in rhythm, needs time to get into his backswing, etc. But, man, that's a heck of a win on indoor hard courts against the big serving Gap Diallo. And, you know, again, that sent it to a sudden death breaker where uh, that sudden death match three breaker, that deciding rubber is a doubles rubber. I will say one all deciding rubbers that come down to doubles. I like the three-match format better than the five-match format. That I will be honest with as we look at this Davis Cup as well. Sudden death doubles is maybe my favorite thing we have in this sport. It's very similar to the doubles point in tennis where it's just this rush of energy where things are just happening so fast and every point matters because, again, this is the sudden death moment, winner-take-all fashion. There's a vibe. There's a buzz. I apologize. I just punched my microphone. We're going to have to leave that in, but... Watching Vertanen and Heliovara 5-3 over Lexi Galarno, Vashik Pospisil to clinch the win for Finland again. Uh, obviously, Heliovara, top 30 doubles player in the world. Vertanen, though, not a top 100 doubles player in the world. Again, for Finland to advance and to do it without Emil Rusevori, their highest-ranked player, their only top 100 guy who, obviously, the 23 four-year-old now out with injury for now. It'll be fascinating to see if we see him play in the semifinals. I know he's there training. I mean, what a moment for, again, a Finnish nation where they sent 3,000 people allegedly to Spain. There are 3,000 Finnish fans at this event traveled in solely for the purpose of watching Finland compete, and they are rewarded again. First semifinal berth for the nation. 2-1 win over Canada. Right now, the Czech Republic taking on Australia, it's worth noting they are in a sudden death doubles as well. Australia currently leading the Czech Republic could have closed that match out in singles as uh, Thomas Mychek gets a straight set win over Jordan Thompson. Yuri Lachechka served for the match against Alex Diemenauer. Diemenauer comes back 7-6 second set, 7-5 in the third. Watching Alex Diemenauer play Davis Cup again. I apologize for the hyperbole. Maybe one of my five favorite things in pro tennis right now because when the demon's got the Aussie flag on his chest, there's just another level he gets to of just survive, 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 and fight for my teammates. And again, extends things to a sudden death double. I think it's going to be Australia. In the I think if Australia gets to that Finland match, I think they roll Finland. And then I think it depends. Is it Sinner? Is it Djokovic? Is it Great Britain? Netherlands in the final. Again, that's your bottom half. And to see Djokovic playing for Serbia, it speaks to the fact that like, he only played 61 matches this year, like 55-6. and six. Yeah, he did a lot of winning at the biggest events on the calendar, but relatively speaking, it was a relatively light workload for Djokovic here this calendar year. And look, in Serbia, here's your top two. Jesus won, Novak Djokovic won A. 
he has always had national pride. He has always been very proud to be Serbian. He has always taken great pride in representing that nation. Again, tip of the cap, respect to Djokovic for playing the event. He's going to take on Great Britain. Uh, obviously, the Brits' sons, Andy Murray, who withdraws from the event due to injury. But look, they've got a squad on their hands. Nori, Draper, in, if those are your two singles matches. Nori, maybe not your strongest number one guy. Um but, man, Draper at number two is going to be fun. I mean, then again, you look at the Italian team. They're rolling Sinner, Musetti, Arnaldi, Sinego, Bellelli. Damn. That's the deepest team. I mean, but even the Netherlands. Like, okay, Sinner's going to play Greek Spore. Yelene Sinner. Musetti's going to face Vandesenskulp. Indoor Hardcourse, Yelene Botic. And then Kulhoff and Roger versus Bellelli and whomever in doubles. Netherlands can hang. Like, that's some sneaky depth on that squad. And then, you know, look, Serbia, they've got Djokovic. So they've got a shot no matter what. It's going to be fascinating. Jo Serbia's got five singles players. Medvedevic, Kesmanovic, Lajevic, Jera, Djokovic. Who's the doubles team? Certainly you imagine if it's one all, it'll be Novak and someone. But they have a less clear path. You know, their pathway is win two singles matches in every match they play. Djokovic gets you up 1-0. Find one more from there. Man, again, that's Serbia. Djokovic beats Nori. Jura would be a favorite over Jack Draper, but on an indoor hard court, maybe you lean Draper. And then, again, if it's Salisbury and Skupski versus Djokovic and Avenue 1, don't you lead towards Salisbury and Skupski, who two of the five best doubles players in the world right now? It's a really good matchup. I, I think I just bought in to Davis Cup. I think I just sold myself on following all the action closely this week because, again, I like the Italy-Netherlands matchup, too. Sinner versus Griegspoor, Vandesenskulp versus Musetti, and then whatever doubles pairings they go with after that. 2-1 feels like it's going to be the scoreboard of choice this week in the Davis Cup. And again, as tennis fans, right, that's really all we can ask for. Sudden death, team tennis doesn't get better than that. Where does Davis Cup fit in the ecosystem? More broadly, that's a discussion we can continue to have in the future. But this week, we're locked in on the action. We'll keep you updated each and every day here on the Mini Break Podcast, talking about all things Davis Cup related. That said, there are a couple of other stories I want to quickly address here as we wrap up. will be one of our shorter mini break podcast by the way we will have a mini break podcast tomorrow yes it's thanksgiving but we got tennis to discuss and honestly again when it's the gruskin nuclear five i think everyone benefits when we all go to our respective corners and do a little bit of work for 30 minutes to an hour sometimes some of us have to work a little bit harder than others and by that i mean my parents my older brother probably sometimes have to work a little bit harder than me when i'm on vacation nevertheless let's talk challengers let's talk 125 case here blitz through these four draws quickly what should you be watching for how about in florianopolis where i believe we had some weather suspend things here on Wednesday, but top two seeds already knocked out of the event. Carol Monet the, uh, of France knocking out second-seeded Diana Schneider, 6-1 in the third. It's a good win for the 22-year-old French woman who's closing in on the top 150 of the live rankings for the first time in her career. Again, it's a very good win over second-seeded Diana Schneider, who, by the way, has consolidated her place in the top 100 of the WTA rankings in about five months of tour-level play this season. Shout-out to the former NC State All-American. She got knocked out in round two of this event, though. Emma Navarro knocked out in round one of this event by Solana Sierra. And look, I'm not going to criticize anything Emma Navarro does because 
look at what she's accomplished this season inside the top 40 of the WTA rankings. She played over 80 matches. She reached double-digit amounts of quarterfinals. Just had a spectacular breakout season. Belongs in that conversation. And by the way, we're going to get ATP WTA Awards show. They will be our lead shows next week. I promise that to all of you listeners. Did Navarro need to play this 125K event? Some scholars would argue certainly no. Nevertheless, she was in the draw. She was knocked out round number one by Sol- uh, Solana Sierra of Argentina. I'll be honest, I have never seen the 19-year-old Sierra play, but she's 210 in the world. Going to make it probably a top 200 debut following this week. So one to keep in mind. That said, we've seen a bunch of upsets. Here are seeds already eliminated. Top seeds, Navarro, Schneider, Already out of the event. Uh, third seeded Nadia Podoroska still alive, as is eighth seed Elizabeth Mandelik. But, you know, again, fourth seeded Sarah Rani, knocked out by Sarah Bailik, the talented young Czech in round one. Sixth seeded Anna Bondar, knocked out round number one by Ipek Oz. Fifth seeded Diana Perry, knocked out in round one, as has was seventh seeded Pana Udvardi. Now Petra Marchenko, one of the most talented young players in the world. Uh, uh, teenagers in the world, excuse me, the young Croat. She was also knocked out in round one, forced to retire against Leah Leah Jean Jean. That said, according to Tennis Abstract right now, your favorite in Florianopolis. Here's a veteran for you. Isla Tomjanovic coming off of injury. She is someone who's going to look to play a few matches to get a little confidence under her belt heading into 2024. Obviously, we know what her highest level of play can look like. This is someone who's made slam quarterfinals in her career. Tomjanovic in action. She'll take on Turkish Ipek, uh, uh, Turkey's Ipek Oz, excuse me, in round number two. She's your favorite, 37.1% after that. Mandelik, Paroska and Sarah Balick, your others, to round out the top four contenders there. That's the one WTA 125K event we have on the schedule. On the men's side, three challengers to keep your eye on throughout the course of this week. We'll start in Valencia, where top seed Roberto Bautista Agu has advanced to the quarterfinals. RBA needs to play matches. He needs to get his confidence up. You look at his record here in 2023. He's just 20 and 23 overall on the season and reaching the quarterfinals at this event. It's just his third quarterfinal. Third quarterfinal of the season. He's fallen outside of the top 50 for the first time in over a decade. Good to see him finding some confidence here. Down the season's home stretch, of course, if there's a clay court event happening, you know Albert Ramos Vinolas will be in the main draw. Ramos Vinolas also through to the quarterfinals where he will take on fifth-seeded Hugo Gaston. Uh, right now, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast, RBA 38.1% favorite after that. Fabio Fonini, 18.3. Gaston, 14.9. Albert Ramos Vinolas, 12.3 after that. So that's your challenger in Valencia. In Brasilia, uh, how about Junior U.S. Open champion and UVA commit Jao Fonesca? The 17-year-old Fonesca knocking out fourth-seeded Alexander Kavasovic 7-6 uh, in, in the third in round number one. That is a fantastic victory for the teenager Uh Speaking of talented young players, how about Tristan Boyer, former top American uh, junior? He gets a 4-3 win over Guido Andrazi Boyer, quietly having the best season of his career here in 2023. Other winners with college ties, how about Val Vachero, through to round number two, a 1-1 one one win over Florida slash Tennessee's Blaze Bicknell. Again, your only quarterfinalist set right now, uh, quarterfinal 
set is Christian Garin, your top seed, taking on Santiago Farrarriguez Taverna. Uh, he is your favorite, unsurprisingly. Garin, 56.2% favorite to win the event. Next closest is the talented Chilean Alejandro Tibilo, currently in round number two. Tibilo, a 20.7% chance of winning the event, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. But, folks, if you haven't had the opportunity to watch Fonesca play, this is your week to do so. The junior U.S. Open champ, he's got some serious game. That's Challenger number two. Challenger number three, the Yakahama Challenger, where top seed Yasuke Watanuki uh, still alive into round number two. He's your favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract uh, forecast, 30.4%. And look, Watanuki was one of the breakout stars of the season. The 25-year-old reached a career high 72 at the end of October. He's currently 98 in the live ranking, so still fighting to ensure himself a spot in the 2023 Australian Open main draw. He's not the only one. Again, that's why we see so many different guys competing here this week. Watanuki's in the draw. Michael Moe, the talented American, when he's healthy, he's unequivocally a top 100 player. He's the number three seed this week. Second favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. Also, young Italian Luca Nardi's in the draw. Leandro Rady, the talented young Swiss player. He's around as well. Plenty to watch for, again, at our three ATP Challenger events this week. We'll keep you updated here on this show as it unfolds throughout the course of the week. And then last, but certainly not least, just because I wanted to do two minutes on it, we got our first November surprise. There's no doubt about that as it relates to the college tennis recruiting world. Former Baylor All-American, number one singles player, top five player in the country, a guy who's spent much of the past year on the ATP Pro Circuit. Adrian Boitan allegedly coming back to college. Our dear friend Parson Amati dropping another bomb on us yesterday. Boitan transferring to Wake Forest for his final semester. Now, it's just worth noting there are still so many, so many, so many eligibility questions surrounding Boyton. And I promise you this, every coach will have their eye on this process because if Boyton is granted eligibility after taking two semesters off to go play pro tennis, well, boy, does that perhaps open the floodgates for others to do something similar. But, I mean, I'll tell you what, again, if Boyton comes back, Tony Bresky's done it again, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. Should I ever have to propose to a future spouse someday, Tony Bresky's the one who offers that proposal for me because no one says no to Tony. Had Millie Poyocek, I'm butchering his last name, but the 2022 Junior Wimbledon champion, had he not won Junior Wimbledon, he would have been a Demon Deacon last year. Obviously, you look at what Borna Goyo has done in his top 100 debut you look at that 2018 Wake Forest National Championship winning team, one of my favorites. I mean, everywhere he goes. Tony Bresky's a stud. Again, if they get Boyton back, now you add him to Tachi, Maroney, their new freshman uh, last name, I believe, is Singh. They just There are some pieces there, as there always are, for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons in a conference where outside of UNC, there are a lot of open questions about what happens in the ACC elsewhere. You know, again, Duke, they bring back a lot of returners. It's kind of a new chapter for UNC men's tennis, but there's a lot of talent on that roster as well. But again, Wake's going to Wake. Tony's going to Tony. If, if Boitan is eligible, again, we know what level he's capable of playing at the top spot. I think he had two losses the season that Baylor ultimately reached the NCAA singles final back in 2021. 
How much Boyton would we actually see if he is deemed eligible? I think that is a very much an open question as well. Again, there are some serious questions, though. Will he become eligible? I'm not ready to report that we are certain to see him play in the spring until I officially get that green light uh, from various sources. But, man, again, buzz. Parsida, there's no better reporter in the, our business, pro, college, otherwise. Parsa Namadi gets scoops. And he dropped the bomb on us all late last night. And obviously, again, if Boyton's at Wake Forest, are they a top 10 team now? It's just, I went and looked at the Texas roster last night. I forgot that one of their freshmen, not G.A. Bailey, but the other one, Timo Legu, I believe I'm saying his name correctly, was a top 500 ATP player in the world. And you're like, man, is NCAA doubles champion Cleve Harper really going to be relegated to a doubles-only role? Is that how good this Texas roster is this season? Of course, on top of all that, you have two-time defending champ, University of Virginia, bringing back five of their six starters and replacing one of them with one of the top newcomers in the country in Dylan uh, Ben Dietrich, excuse me, or Dietrich, whatever his first name is. I'm blanking on it right now. By the way, Ohio State's got to, again, you feel like TCU might be announcing Carlos Alcaraz is coming in January. There's buzz around the college tennis world, and shout out to Ben Shelton, who after seeing the Boyton announcement on Instagram goes, hey, maybe I'll be back in Gainesville this spring then as well. Like, you just file it under things you love to see. A little drama, a little intrigue, that late November, early December buzz to just remind everyone that college tennis is on the horizon. You love to see it. I am certain we'll be talking more Adrian Boyton, the impact of this decision throughout the course of the next month and a half. But for now, we'll sign off on today's mini break. Again, Davis Cup, the focus this week, 125Ks, challengers on the schedule as well. We'll keep you up to date on all of that action as it continues to unfold. And the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who as always has a of an editing job to do day in, day out. A shout-out to him, a shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for the fantastic Daniel Westhoff, our super producer, for our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here, both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We, of course, are wishing all of you a happy Thanksgiving. But for now, you know what we say. Hey. Great shot, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.